reminded of that, don't we? I started to have the song that uh, Tina Turner uh, used to sing or sings. What's love got to do, got to do with it? So I thought, well, I can stand up and do that. No, not quite as good as she does. The greatest of these is love. We're going we're gonna to be looking in a th- short three-week series about love. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. So we want you, to, want you to get there after you hold those Bibles up. I'm a child of God. God. Having my hand. Having Powerful word of God. Powerful God. Can change lives. Change heal broken hearts. Heal broken heart. And make me love the right way. I threw you a curve, didn't I? Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look over at your neighbor and say, I love you. You can hug them if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine, too. If you just want to touch their hands, that's fine. Dr. Carl Menninger is a noted psychiatrist, and he said this, love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. Let me say it again. Love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. He went on to say, love cures. It cures those who give it and cures those who receive it. Nothing better than receiving grandma's love. Amen? Grandmas know how to love. You can be the most ornery child in your life in the whole school, and your grandmother's going to love you. Your grandmother's going to buy you stuff. Your grandmother's going to make sure that everything's okay in your world. Am I getting an amen here? (coughs) Granddad's not so much, but grandma's, grandma's, that's the way they are. Love truly is is good medicine. It's been said that the three most powerful words in the English language are, I love you. Growing up, I always wanted my dad to say, I love you. My dad was not one of those kind of men that said, I love you. Thank you, sir. He's going to make sure I don't cough all the way through here. (laughs) I love you. I wanted to hear him say that. What he said was, I put food on the table a roof over your head, clothes on your back. What else do you want? I love you. Wouldn't that be, that's just too hard to give? But men are like that, are we not? We just think we can't, we can't show weakness by saying we love you. And yet on Valentine's Day, what do men do? Spend an ungodly amount of money and still never say the words. They'll buy a piece of chocolate that has it carved in the chocolate, on the, and they'll say, here. Because they have such a difficulty saying, I love you. I am so glad that God didn't have that trouble. A pastor returned to his office one day, noticed that the voicemail light was on the phone, picked it up, and the message came from a man who had moved to another state, used to be at the church where he pastored, and the message uh, that he left was that uh, he had been having some difficulties in his own life and uh, how he was dealing with them. And along the way, uh, he mentioned that he had poured his heart out to a a new mentor that he had uh, developed a relationship with and simply said that the mentor said to him, hey, I want you to know 
I love you. He said, Pastor, can you believe that, no, that after all the stuff I told him, he listened to and, and, and heard about my story, he then could say, I love you. You see, that's the essence of what God has done with us, is it not? He has seen our lives. <laughs> He's seen how either bad or good we've been. And yet he still says, I love you. I love you. I love you. We can come to him and we can spit in his face and he will still say, I, I love you. I love you. We can say, I don't even want you to be in my life anymore. And you know what he'll say? I love you. I love you. We can get up on Sunday morning and say, it ain't going to happen. I ain't going to that church. I ain't going down there. Oh, no. And God is going to sit there and look at you and go, I love you. If your team doesn't win the Super Bowl today, Look up, because God's going to say, I love you. And I tried to tell you. No, he's going to say, I love you. <laughs> Such is the power of love. Our society confuses sometimes love with sex, money, gifts. Many people don't understand love and are even afraid of it because they've never been shown it. You can love when you know how. When somebody shows you how, you can do it. You can do it. Ah, there's nothing better than my six, seven-month-old grandson when I get right up where he can see who I am. And I say, hi, Braden. And his whole head gets into his smile. She, Misty had him in there before she put her pajamas on, on him, and he is sitting there in his uh, all-togethers with all his diaper on. That was it. Old roly-poly body, and I said, boy, Braden, wouldn't that be fun to just sit like that? That'd be awesome. And, and uh, Cindy said, well, he's got all those roles. I said, well, I do too, but you don't let me sit around like that. <laughs> to which the whole family shouted, amen. <laughs> so, well, there's just something about being loved and feeling loved and hearing people say, I love you. Parents, is it any, does it get any better when your children, and, and for a brief moment, you sincerely believe they're looking at you and saying, I love you? And then, it, you know, it's years again before you'll ever hear it again. But it was that one time when they'll say, I love you, because they really mean it at that moment. Wow. All the heartache. How do, how do women deliver babies? The intense pain of having that baby. It's not, it's not an easy task, ladies. Amen? It's not. Some have it, you know, they, they don't seem to have difficulty, but I'm telling you, it's not an easy process. And yet, no sooner is that baby born than they're saying, I want another one. What? <laughs> they're ready to beat you up until that baby comes, and then they say they want another one. Hmm. I heard one guy say, the love that we know is like a quiver in your liver. I thought, what is a quiver in my liver? That's kind of a catchy phrase, though, isn't it? I ought to write a song about a quiver in my liver. I don't know. But anyway, for the next two or three weeks, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and, and try to find out what love's about. This is a very familiar section of scriptures. Uh, weddings, uh, songs are written about it. Um, been set to music and, 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 and deep ponderings of the spiritual meaning of all these phrases in 1 Corinthians 13 are there. But we want to look at these verses 
Uh, a quick outline is verses 1 through 3 is the preeminence of love. Verses 4 through 7, the practice of love. Verses 8 through 13, the permanence of love. Sound like a good three-point sermon. But before we go too much further, I just want to ask you this. What is love? Is it a feeling? Is it that quiver in your liver? <laughs> is it an emotional attachment? There's lots of different ways we use the word love, especially today, like the man who declared, I love my wife, I love my baby, I love my biscuits and gravy. I mean, you know, it's just, we kind of put love out there for everything, don't we? But what kind of love is Paul talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, let's start by learning what four Greek words in the Bible are for love. The first one is eros. We get our word erotic from it. It's sexual love not used in the New Testament. <coughs> not used in the New Testament. Then there's the word storge. means friendly affection. Friendly affection. It's a word that's used in the New Testament for the warm affection that should exist between believers in Christ. We ought to love each other. We ought to be able to laugh with each other and cry with each other and just have a great time with each other. That's what families do. And so I'm, I'm proud of you when you're, when you're able to do that. The third word is uh, philos, means family love. And when you join it with the word adelphos, meaning brother, it means brotherly love. Of course, the city of Philadelphia gets it, its name from those two words combined. It's used in the New Testament for our love for God and for others. So it's a, a dual love that we have. And then there's the fourth one. It's called agape. <coughs> Agape means self-sacrificing love. And this, this, this word's rarely used. Before the New Testament period, it uniquely describes God's love for us. Agape love is love that reaches out to another person and has no strings attached. It's a love that sacrifices itself on behalf of the one loved and with no thought of what might be received in return. It's the word Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a love that starts with God, comes down to us, and then moves out from us to others. You see it? It flows down and through to others. Woo. Woo. And one of the problems in, with 1 Corinthians 13 is that we have heard it so often that perhaps it's lost its power to move us. I want you to hear it these first three verses from the message by Eugene Peterson. Listen to how he puts it. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making, him, uh, making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even to the, to, be, to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Boy, that's a <laughs> descriptive way to put that, isn't it? So the point of the passage can be stated in one simple sentence. Whatever I do, whatever I say, it's all useless if it doesn't have love. There are three verses that we're going to look at today, beginning at verse 1, and hopefully we'll learn some about the truth in this passage. 
The first one is in verse 1, If I speak in, t in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So love is greater than eloquent communication. <laughs> you ever tried to speak a foreign language? Si, senor. I learned that from cartoons on Saturday morning with Speedy Gonzalez. What <laughs> Substituting a few years ago to high school, and I had the Spanish class as my assignment. I went into the class, and the kids, I think, wanted to know if I knew Spanish, so if I, if I didn't know it, they could speak in Spanish, and I wouldn't know what they were saying. But anyway, one of them came up to me and says, uh, Mr. Teacher, do you know Spanish? I said, absolutely. Taco bueno chalupa. <laughs> That's the reaction he gave me. <laughs> I admire missionaries who spend years and years and years on a mission field learning a language only for the purpose of sharing John 3.16 with those that hear them. God bless those folks and their sacrifice. And yet our text says that without love it doesn't matter how many languages you speak, how eloquently you can communicate your message. The greatest linguist in the world is ineffective if he speaks without love. Sometimes love has discipline attached to it. But love, nevertheless. And the point would have, hit, have hit home because eloquence was greatly admired in the ancient Greece time period that this was written. When you think of the great philosophers of Athens who held their listeners spellbound, Demosthenes, a great orator, Paul himself presenting the gospel on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. But without love, electrifying eloquence means nothing. Means nothing. I believe it was Churchill that was invited to speak. And he stood up in front of a group of graduates. And he said, never, never. Never give up. He said, hey. <laughs> no greater words to be spoken. No greater challenge before us than is to never, ever, ever give up. Amen? Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep working at it. If you speak without love, you are no better than the pagans. You see, in Haiti and India, there's late night celebrations that go on with loud clanging cymbals. And yet, if we don't have love, we're no better than these pagans. So first, love is greater than eloquent communication. Then secondly, verse 2, love is greater than spiritual gifts. <coughs> Look what it says. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. Paul mentions three spiritual gifts here. They were previously discussed in chapter 12. He carries them over to chapter 13. And he starts with prophecy. Well, you hear about that word today. And you hear people say they have a gift of prophecy. And then they'll say whatever they're going to say. They may have a gift of prophecy. I'm not sure. Because prophecy, it, it, as I understand it, 
is that it refers to the ability to declare God's truth in a powerful and a life-changing way. <coughs> That's prophecy. Knowledge is a, is a second gift he mentions. That involves the deep understanding of, of the Word of God and, and your faith in God. Knowledge. You ever met somebody that has that deep knowledge? How do they get it? They just got it? Heavens no. They've spent years studying, praying, digging, trying to figure out what it says. How about faith? Faith is the third gift he mentions. It's that unique ability to trust God for great things. <coughs> trust God for great things. But these three gifts, all from the Holy Spirit, <coughs> yet given or exercised or used without love, person, Paul says, is, what's your Bible say in verse 2? What's the last word? Nothing. You're worth nothing. So you've got all these spiritual gifts. Great, but you don't know how to love people? I've seen people that take gifts and use them to whip up people. <laughs> Beat them up. Paul is saying, if you don't have love, what good is that? New Living Translation puts this verse. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I knew all the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good will it be? Well, I love that phrase. Everything about everything. So if you knew everything there was to know about everything, you had a plumbing problem. Well, you're so smart, you know how to fix the plumbing problem. Good luck. <coughs> you're a parent of a terrible two-year-old. But because you know everything about everything, you know how to handle that two-year-old. You've got a 16-year-old daughter. Strikes fear in your heart just to hear those words. You've got a defiant teenager, male or female. They cross their arms. They look at you like, you're going to tell me what to do when? Once you wake up, after standing up to your mom and dad, maybe your eyes will be clearer. Your thoughts process will be a lot better. You can be defiant all you want to. You know, I know people that are defiant before Almighty God. And he loves them enough to let them do whatever they're going to do. Because he knows ultimately they're going to end up coming back to his door. So you can be defiant right now in your life. Now, I don't need God. I don't need to surrender anything. Good. Good. Just keep living that way. But you know what? As soon as you turn and glance toward him, he is going to run to you. He's going to run to you because he loves you. Ha! <laughs> wow. So let me ask you a question. Would you like to be really smart? I mean, I mean... IQ of 500, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I don't know, what's a high IQ? 500, that sounds high to me. Maybe 9 million, I don't know. But so smart, you, any question on who wants to be a millionaire, you wouldn't have to use lifelines, you'd answer every question. You could be the most gifted speaker in the whole world. I mean, whenever you open your mouth, everybody stops like a yep button. Some of you older than my age, you know what I'm talking about. Young people go, what? 
Suppose you were brilliant in math, science, history, language, arts, in every other area of human knowledge. And on top of that, you had the knowledge to cure cancer. I mean, you were going from patient to patient, hospital to hospital, clearing out the cancer wards. That'd be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? It'd be just awesome. But let's suppose on top of all that that you could bring about world peace so that even in the Middle East they all lay their arms down and love each other. Woo! Woo! Suppose all of that were true according to our text. God says it's not enough. It's not enough to have all that knowledge. If you don't do it with love, it doesn't really matter. Matthew Henry was a great commentator, and wrote 300 years ago, he said this about this passage. It is not great knowledge that God sets a value upon, but true and hearty devotion in love. So, we've seen love is greater than eloquent communication and spiritual gifts. <coughs> and now number three, <coughs> love is greater than personal sacrifice. Love is greater than personal sacrifice. If I give all I possess to the poor... <coughs> <coughs> and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. This verse poses a problem because it asks us to ponder activities that normally are very noble. I mean, after all, giving to the poor, that's a good thing, isn't it? Dying for your faith in Christ is called the ultimate sacrifice. But good things, as these may be, without love, they do us no good. No good. Let me ask you another question. Would you like to be rich enough to be generous? Boy, you're not kidding. I've prayed for hitting that lottery. I'm telling you. And your whole world would change if you hit the lottery. I saw it was $137 million, I think. And then there was another one that was only $13 million. I thought, well, who wants that? I mean, if you can get 137, let's just stay for that, right? I mean, just think, if you had that much money, wouldn't it be great to have enough wealth that you could literally take on ministries and fund them without any help, just you? And there's, some, there's a lot of here in Tulsa worthy, worthy agencies working in the name of Christ, alleviating human suffering, spreading the good news of Jesus right here in our community. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had so much money that you could fully fund these wonderful organizations? Suppose you could wipe out homelessness in Tulsa. Now, we had a previous mayor that said, we'll just round up all the homeless and put them in a, in a place we're going to build down here on Pine and Admiral. Really? You know, round them up. That sounds really loving and gracious and kind. What if you could end poverty in Haiti or India? What if you could guarantee that every person on earth would have enough food, no one would ever go hungry? Man, that, those are all great things, amen? God said it's not enough. If you do it with love, that's right. If you do it without love, you gain nothing. The truth is that we, we may give to worthy causes for unworthy reasons. We may give out of guilt because we want to follow a crowd or because we seek the praise of men, or for some other earthly reason. If we give for those reasons, the people on the receiving end will be blessed, but 
it will gain us nothing at all. Would you be willing to die for Christ? From time to time, we send out new missionaries for the cause of Christ. Do we understand that many of these wonderful men and women are going to dangerous parts of the world? Some of them will face uncertainty and possible arrest every day. In fact, we have a Christian preacher arrested in Iran for starting house churches. They said he was a national security threat. <laughs> yeah, God can do that to people. Yeah, he can get you to leave the Muslim faith and follow the living God, not the dead one where they can still point to his bones. Oh, Muhammad. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't talk about him. <gasps> I guess they'll someday come and arrest me. Would you come see me at David Elmont if they arrest me for being a preacher for Jesus? Well, we may find out one day. <coughs> Are you ready to be ridiculed and slandered for your faith? Think carefully before you answer that. Because God says it's still not any, enough. Still not enough. Without love, even sacrificing yourself for Christ will profit you nothing. Giving to the poor and offering yourself to be burned at the stake are both noble actions, but they are useless and even dangerous without love. Let me summarize these three verses. Love is greater than eloquent communication, greater than spiritual gifts, greater than personal sacrifice. And here's the phrase I want you to walk away with. Without love, I say nothing. I am nothing. I gain nothing. Say those again. Without love, I say nothing. I am nothing. And I gain nothing. Maybe a simple illustration using the power of numbers will help. What do you get when you add 10 plus 15? Anybody know? 25. 25. Boy, right on the spot. Now suppose you go 10 times 15. 150. 150. Let's make it a little bit bigger. Suppose you multiply one, uh, 1 million by 1,000. Times 1,000, what do you get? 1 billion. 1 billion. Well, we've got a... Einstein up here on the front. <clears throat> now I'm going to get him. What number comes above a billion? Trillion. trillion. That's our debt right now. 16 of those. What comes above that? Hey, you're smarter than I was. Quadrillion. What comes above that? Quintillion. Yeah, that's a great one. That'll be our national debt in about three years. Quintillion. <laughs> what that is is one number followed by 18 zeros. So, let's take 25 quintillion times zero. What do you have? Zero. Zero? Zero? Hmm. So, no matter how big the number is on this side, times zero on this side equals hmm. Hmm. God is saying to you and to me that life without love equals zero. <laughs> you can pile up all the good deeds you want. Get all the education you think you need. Possess all the spiritual gifts you can accumulate. Do noble works all of your life. But without love, it still equals 
zero. You can be smart, beautiful, strong, wealthy, educated, multilingual. Took me a week to figure out how to say that. Rich and famous, but without love, it still equals zero. There's a commercial on Super Bowl, I saw a sneak peek of it this week. It's a geek and a model and go daddy. <laughs> and you take the beauty of the power of the website and how beautiful it can look and you merge them together. And so the two of them kiss each other. It is the most awkward commercial you're going to watch. <laughs> that boy now, he's in hog heaven. That boy that's kissing that girl. William Barclay, a commentator, came to the end of his comments on verse 3, or these three verses. And he noted that it calls for a searching personal self-examination. He says, these, th these three short verses challenge us to evaluate what we do, what we say in the light of agape love. What we do in the, li in the light of agape love. So if we're honest with ourselves, which is not easy to do, we must eventually admit that we have a long way to go in that area of loving people unconditionally. Showing agape love. Many of us struggle with difficult people, struggle with painful circumstances, and in those moments that we've been deeply hurt by those closest to us, the temptation is to overwhelmingly respond with anger and bitterness. Sometimes we want to even get even. Sometimes we want revenge. And we're going to do whatever it takes to get revenge. Because you see, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's just us. You see how we get curled up when we start talking that way? Somebody pulls a prank on you. Ha, 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 ha. Just laugh it off and go on. You've stolen all of their thunder. <laughs> Haven't you? So they throw a pie in your face. What are you supposed to do? Throw a brick at them? <laughs> That's how we think. That's how we think. And yet, and yet we've got to learn to love people. God says love your enemies. Life being what it is, our enemies will most always be those closest to us. Love means doing things God's way. It means refusing to nurse our grievances against those who are truly guilty of sin against us. Love finds a way to reach out and to heal the breach, if at all possible. Jesus embodied God's love and his own people crucified him. And if you follow him, the same thing may happen to you. If you've been hurt in church, it wasn't to the point of nailing you to a cross. So get over it. <clears throat> well, you just don't know what they said to me, preacher. It can't be that bad. Give me five minutes, I'll say something worse. <laughs> Amen? In preaching a sermon about love, as we come to the end here, there's an enormous temptation for me just to look at you and say, okay, let's all go out this week and really love people. I mean, let's show agape love, and I want you to come back next week and report the agape love <coughs> that you show this week. <coughs> I mean, let's just get out there and do that, right? But that isn't what I want to do. Now, I, I don't object to you doing that. I don't, I don't object to you going out and loving people with a God love. I don't. I hope you will. 
But I want us to start to love people the way God loves people. You see, if I love you like God loves you, I'm going to love you differently. Because it doesn't matter what you say to me or what you do to me or how you upset me, because I'm just going to love you the way God loves you. And who does that? Little babies, little children, and dogs. You could beat that dog and, and in 10 minutes he'd come back and go. I've mentioned our dog Lizzie before. She, we rescued her. And somebody really, 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 really hurt that dog. Because she's still to this day, after all these years we've had her, she just cowers down. But I'm seeing little by little, glimpses by glimpses. Because what she does when she cowers down is I, I pick up her head and I say, nope, lift your head. Lift your head, Lizzie. Lift your head because you're such a good dog. And I love you. Then I'll let loose of her and she jumps up on my leg. There's good words. That's the kind of love that God, God's looking down and you've been beaten up. You have been kicked. You have been spit on. You've been ridiculed and made fun of and you've had pies thrown in your face. And God's lifting up your head and going, I love you. You're okay. I love you. And then he'll step back, and you'll do what? Oh, no, you're going to jump up and just go, hey, grab his leg, hang on to it. Yeah. Because we respond to that kind of love. We respond to that kind of love. In the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell was the Lord Protector of England, and he sentenced a soldier to be shot for the crimes that he had committed. The execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell. So at that appointed hour, the bell did not sound. When they investigated, it was discovered that the soldier's fiance had climbed into the belfry, had clung to that great clapper to ring that bell to stop the bell from ringing. When she was summoned by Cromwell to his audience to bring account for her actions, she began to weep. She showed him her bruises and bleeding hands. Oliver Cromwell's heart was touched, and he said, Your lover shall, not li or your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. And curfew the curfew bell did not ring that night. And it's through his sacrifice that Christ, Christ stayed our execution. It's the judgment bell that was supposed to toll, never will toll, because the proof is in his bruised body and his bloody hands because he loves us so. I end as I started with the words of Dr. Carl Menninger. Love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've shown us what love is, and you've told us that love must be great, our greatest aim. Help us to remember that without love, our words don't matter, and our knowledge is empty, and all we give is insignificant, and all we accomplish, inadequate. 
We want to thank you that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as we have been loved, help us today to begin to walk in love this week. And we ask it in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. We always offer an invitation. We're going to do that now. Perhaps God is melting your heart. Perhaps you just need prayer. Don't need to know what. You just need prayer. Well, we want you to come as we sing together. Let's stand. <clears throat>